Yo, yo, yo. Thanks for listening to NeuroHive. I'm going to be really honest and upfront with you about something. We took a really big risk putting this information out for you and creating this content. I need your support to help beat the big tech and media overlords who just want to keep you addicted to complacency. They are making billions of dollars and ripping the United States apart all for the sake of keeping us dumb and numb in the place of our phones. I know a lot of you are business owners and entrepreneurs and self-driven individuals who listen to this. You are what they fear the most. Self-reliant, independent thinkers and individuals who are willing to put in the work that is required of success. To help our cause in creating impactful and transparent content to help American business owners, I need your support for the show. If I taught you something, if we gave you new insight into something that you hadn't thought about before, or even just made you smile a little bit today, please share the show. That's how we're going to grow the hive into the greatest force for good that exists out there in the world today. It doesn't have to be a social media share or a story post, but many of you do that and it's greatly appreciated. But what it can be is the next time you're hanging out with your buddies, having a conversation with other business owners, and it comes up of what are you stuffing your brain with? What's the good stuff that you're putting between your ears? I would greatly appreciate a mention of NeuroHive. We do a good job for you. I really would love that in return. Let's fire up B and hop into today's episode. Hey B, active the hive. Launching NeuroHive sequence. Welcome, welcome to the Smarter Marketing Revolution, presented by Hidden Force Media. Today, though, we have Mike the Machine in the house, and Mike is an incredible graphic designer as one of the many things that Mike has done in his life, moving through the audiovisual world and then moving into a variety of other industries I'm going to let him get into. Mike, welcome to the show. We're super happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Why don't you give everybody a little bit of context so we can get them caught up real fast. We've known each other now for a little over a year, but I want to get everybody caught up to speed with who you are, what you do, and what that origin story looked like from being a little kid all the way up to where we're at today at the end of 2020. Uh, so I guess like a lot of artistic uh, people, I grew up drawing. My my parents were were good about encouraging you know me to draw. I was, you know, drawing like cartoon characters and things like that um, throughout my younger years. And then once I got into high school, I kind of got into skating and art sort of took a back seat. But then uh, oddly enough, graffiti sort of came into my life around that time. And that sort of kind of lit the fire on the the artistic stuff again, just a a whole different culture type of... uh, type of thing. So I ended up getting into that really heavily in about 90. I think it started popping up around 90 for me. Um, and so I, I started doing graffiti from 91 all throughout the nineties. And then, um, and towards the late nineties, I kind of discovered graphic design and started, started playing around with that. Um, that sort of lit another fire to where, you know, when I was younger and, and, um, my mom was always telling me, you know, you need to do something with your art and that, you know, I couldn't really wrap my head around what that would be. I was like, what am I going to do? Like draw comic strips for a newspaper or like sell paintings. Like I, it didn't make any sense. Like, uh, 
And it, it also seemed like that kind of like rock star type of thing where like, you know, you could be the best musician in the world and never ever make it. And so even at, at, as a, uh, a younger person, I, for some reason I had that in my head. I was like, I don't know how to make a living doing, doing art. <clears throat> so then that's when, when I discovered graphic design and I enjoyed doing it, it made a lot of sense that that could be a career. So in 98, I ended up going to Cal arts and I studied design there, um, graduated in 2002 and, uh, started my motion graphics company and started doing, um, motion design and animation for, uh, for TV shows, uh, directed some music videos, did some things like that. And, uh, and then I did that. Um, I still have that business, but I've sort of transitioned into a, another business. So, um, I guess it was, uh, maybe five years ago. Well, I started getting burned out on that business longer than five years ago. And I started my, you know, passion for graffiti sort of started coming back as, as I was burning out on this graphic design stuff. And I had gotten back into graffiti. I took a little break, uh, after, well, during, during school, it was so time consuming that I just didn't have much time for anything else. Mm. And then a few years after graduating, um, again, starting a business, I didn't really have much time for it. So I stepped away from graffiti for about six years. And I started getting back into that while I was building my career. And then as I was burning out pretty heavily on the motion graphics stuff, um, I started looking for opportunities to, to give back to the graffiti culture, because while a lot of people see it as destructive and, and there are of course aspects of that to it, there's a lot more to it than, um, you know, it's a longer conversation, but there's a lot to it. Um, so what I wanted to do is create just a space for young people to, to kind of help channel their, their creative energies a little bit. And there wasn't much of a plan and it wasn't like a crazy business model, but I opened this, this gallery and a community art studio in San Pedro. And that just evolved into, into a, another business. So it started off, you know, graffiti writers, they draw in black books. I mean, I have one sitting right here, you know, so like, uh, you, you carry them around, you bring them, some people bring them to art shows and you get your, you know, artists to sign them and things like that. So I was like, we'll have like a black book, table and let these kids come in and not really tell them what to do, but at the same time provide just another channel for them to express themselves in a safe kind of legal way. <clears throat> and that just built on itself. You know, it was like, they started asking like, Oh, do you guys sell anything here? And I was like, well, maybe we should sell some stuff. And, you know, fast forward to where we are now. And now we have like an e-commerce business and, uh, we have a few of our own original products and um, we have several nonprofit programs built from that, from the community art studio. Now we have a, 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 pro, um, a thing called the mobile graffiti art. It's a modular wall system that we can just pop up places and we do cool. live painting events. And so um, 
like, well, that's kind of where we get, before we get further into it. Where can people find you and check out all of this that you're talking about? Uh, the best place to, to get in touch with us is uh, at machine studio on Instagram, uh, machine studio.com on, on the website. And, um, we're also at machine studio on TikTok. There's a lot of that, that TikTok is mainly dedicated to the quick educational videos. Um, so you can check us out there also. Love it. Um, so let's fast forward. So you're surrounded by such a unique culture, one that's typically really hidden away from a lot of society and that you think of as kind of that destructive area of art. But I think we've all come across it, especially like if you're sitting in your car watching a train go by, you've noticed some piece of art that doesn't look destructive, but is truly a work of art that's on this. And it's kind of that quick flash of a moment, right? You pass or you pass it in your car and it's that quick flash of, oh, that was really incredible art. Where do you start to see those lines start to blur between this is a destructive path versus a true art form that lives and breathes inside of cities and really gives it its own unique flair? Yeah, that's, um, that's a good question. And that's something that I, um, I've been consciously thinking about for quite a while. And I want to be sort of that, that kind of bridge between like regular folks and, and graffiti writers. So um, I work with people on the neighborhood councils, like within the neighborhoods that are probably dealing with uh, graffiti issues. But at the same time, I want to stay uh, true to the culture and not so much tell people, hey, don't, don't do illegal graffiti. I don't encourage it, but I don't discourage it either. So like there's, there, I, I fully understand both sides. So like I can see how say like the person that doesn't like graffiti when they're driving down the street and they're like, I hate this shit. Like, yeah. you know, these, these, you know, a lot of people think it's all gang stuff and, and that's an, a whole nother topic, but you know, I can see how they wouldn't like it. But then at the same time, I also have these kind of deeper thoughts about like, you know, when did we decide who owns all of this shit? And like, when did we decide who owns this land and who could put this building here? And then I can't decide, you know, that there's some movie billboard in my neighborhood. You know, there's so there's all these kind of bigger conversations there. But as far as like, I got a little off track, but like as far as your conversation, or I mean, your question, um, it's a hard one to to distinguish because there could be a masterpiece, but done illegally, mm. you know. Um, and like you said on the trains, like none of that stuff is legal. The the trains, there's there's kind of an understanding that maybe the train workers, as long as you don't uh, cover their numbers or the reflectors or things on the train that um, that uh, obstruct their ability to identify like what's on that train mm -hmm. supposedly they generally don't care and I've, I've heard interviews with different train people so while it is illegal um i personally think like look it's just a train you know it's not like it's something super i don't know some <laughs> that's it's a it's tough thing to talk about because like some people are so enthusiastic about trains they think they're beautiful and they probably don't like seeing graffiti on them, but I see it as just like, hey, it's just some thing that's 
bringing shit from one place to another. You know, we put some art on it. What's the harm in it? But then the other side is like, well, we don't really have the right to decide that we can just put our art on other people's shit, you know? So I don't know. It's a tough, <laughs> it's probably a really long conversation, you know, to talk about that. Yeah. What was it like growing up and moving through that massive sweep of graffiti across the United States, especially being out in the Southern California area where you are, you got to witness the rise of this really come forward. What was that like? And do you see any parallels to what's going on today with modern art? Um, I don't, I mean, there are some, I can't really speak too much about modern art because I've never really followed like mainstream art or Mm -hmm. I don't know what you would even call it. I've mainly uh, focused on commercial art and and graffiti. And that's sort of where I have some uh, people that are, you know, that are affiliates of mine that have gone on to do museum work and gallery shows and all this kind of things. And I actually, I own a gallery. So like I let people, I display people's work, but as far as like that art scene, I don't know that much about it. Um, I don't know enough about it to really talk about it, but as far as like coming through the, I mean, obviously graffiti started much longer, a long time before, like it supposedly started in, um, in the sixties in Philadelphia. And then, um, then you have like the New York scene. So I, I didn't see any of that stuff, uh, with the subways and everything, but as far as the LA scene, I came in probably like a decade after it really started hitting really hard, maybe less than a decade. Um, the nineties, uh, in LA, it was a, it was a crazy time because number one, it was like, it was really popping off in in a big way. So anybody that was old enough to have been around in the nineties in LA saw that graffiti started really hitting hard in the nineties. And then all these different, things started popping up like uh this thing called tag banging it was like it's like the bridge between graffiti and gangs so like they were a graffiti crew but they would actually like shoot people and stuff so you were dealing with that and then in the mid 90s the mexican mafia they uh put what's called a green light out on graffiti writers and that basically means that any gangs that are underneath their affiliation were basically ordered to to shoot us you know so wow it was a thinking back as a as a 47 year old man i was like what the fuck was i thinking doing <laughs> anymore? But, but uh you know so we were you know we were getting chased out of neighborhoods by gangs and and things like that so it was a you know it, it was a crazy crazy thing that was happening um now everything seems a lot more mellow. There's a, um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really involved in that sort of street level stuff anymore. So I don't, I, I couldn't really speak on the, the climate in that regard between the, the gangs and the graffiti writers, but it seems now that there's, there's a little more acceptance between sort of the mainstream and, um, and graffiti. So we have a little more, leeway to say go up to a business and 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 say look i see your your building's getting tagged all the time and you're having to go out and paint over it what if we just did some really nice looking artist art artwork type of graffiti really colorful stuff and then that'll 
solve that problem for you. So um, it's got, you could do that before, but nowadays it seems a lot, that bridge is a little, uh, is a little shorter now. Right. We're seeing a lot of that in Cincinnati where a, a lot of murals are going up to help prevent a lot of that uh, destruction of property while still adding and kind of contributing to the culture and this uh, flavor of the city. So I, I see a lot of that from your perspective. Um, I mean, I see it from mine as a marketing move to where, I mean, what an incredible conversation piece to have right outside your business, right? Because people will come just to look at that piece of artwork and you're right there. So, yeah. so from that perspective, I see it being a tremendous benefit and it has the deterrent aspect like you were talking about. Are you seeing any type of big movement with a lot of businesses pairing up with artists or looking for that opportunity to see what type of collaboration can happen to either increase the business's awareness or to help provide a space for the artist to come and actually display larger pieces? And what does that look like from your perspective? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of that going on. There's, um, there's, there's a lot of it going on on a small scale and then even on a larger scale. And there's even been, um, there's been lawsuits because, uh, different companies, uh, there's actually somebody, a couple people from my crew that have had their work show up in ad campaigns, um, without any permission. And so there was this debate where it's like, well, that guy did that illegally. So, it's fair game, hmm. but the my understanding is that even if it's illegal, when an artist makes a piece of art, they automatically have some rights to that. Sure. So even if it's not meant to be there, um, so there's been a lot of issues in that regard. And um, you know, you know, I've seen some crazy things, and I'm not going to say how I feel about this one way or the other. But um, you know the last one that I saw happen, it, I was just sort of like, don't, don't fuck with graffiti writers like, like that. Like <laughs> you're talking about people that are willing to do things that a lot of people aren't willing to do. So, um, you know, this big company sort of stepped over that line and they were trying to take a hard stance on it. But then next thing you know, you got these graffiti writers rallying and start getting fire extinguishers full of paint and defacing their buildings and stuff. Like, I wow. mean, it's just, it, it was totally crazy. So, um, you do see people using the culture and then you, you, um, in that way, you know, a lot of people call them culture vultures and it's like, Hey, you're just trying to jump onto our thing and, and, you know, not show us any respect and just use sure. the word, which I don't agree with. I, I'm not going to say how I feel about the whole destructive thing, but the, you know, you see it on a smaller scale as well, like in the things that you said, one to, to control the, the, the vandalism stuff, but the conversation piece I think is a, is a huge one because you could get a lot of people taking selfies in front of your business now. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different things. So there's, there's, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think I could just go on like a crazy long tangent about that. It's, um, but there's definitely a lot of, uh, of value on both sides. Like graffiti writers can have a lot of opportunity to, uh, to do work that's going to stay, you know, because that's something that you have to struggle with 
I mean, not a struggle, it's just part of it. Like you put something somewhere illegally, you don't really have any control over how long it's, it's going to stay there. Even if you do it legally, you still don't have really any control. But at the same time, you could put something um, with an understanding on a, on a business and most likely it's going to stay there for a long time or you'll have a wall that you have access to that you can, you know, as it starts to fade or if somebody comes and, and tags on it or something, you, you have now have an opportunity to do new work that's going to stay in the public space, you know, untouched for, for a longer period of time. Sure. I have one hard question for you and then we'll wrap it up with an easy question. Do you think creativity is something that can be taught or do you think it's something that you're born with? Um, I actually uh, read a book and I'm so bad at remembering where I got information from in books. Like I wasn't much of a reader up until, until somewhat recently, but, uh, Oh, it was a mindset by um, Carol Dweck. Yeah, uh, Carol S. Dweck. Amazing um, book. Yeah, and it changed my perspective. I always thought that it was something you were born with, and I think you are born with some built-in talents, and I, I think that's kind of a normal thing. But I think you can be taught. After reading that book, really, it opened my eyes to. You know, I think some people probably have to work harder than others, and that's probably the same for anything from sports to, to whatever, you know, mechanics or any of that kind of stuff. I think you're probably born with some, uh, built in talents, but, um, I really believe that you, you can do, you can learn how to be creative if, if you work hard at it. Awesome. I think so too. It's, uh, it's definitely a skill. I feel like, and that when you stop, yeah, you can definitely pick it back up again like you did. Like you took the time off, but you were still invested into other creative endeavors. So even though you stopped, you really didn't stop being creative and you found a way to redirect that energy and that focus into somewhere else. And I see a lot of people that, uh, you know, within my age group, I'm seeing a lot of really weird things. And by weird, it's normal for a lot of other people, but to me, it's really weird. They're settling down, they're having families, they're getting off track from the dreams and the vision that I remember having conversations with them about that I'm going to go out there and do X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> and all these things started to get in their way and that they've changed course from what they used to say was their end all be all. And that's totally okay. We all change with it. But it's interesting to see the people that stick with some level of creativity and just how exponentially uh, how, how much they just grow just all the time because they're staying with something versus the people that said that was truly who they are and then time distracted them and pulled them away from that calling. So we have one more question for you. It's the question we've been asking everybody at the end of this show, which is 2020 really kicked a lot of us in the nutsack. Um, how do you plan on taking your business moving throughout the rest of this year? We're in November of 2020, just past the election. What does it look like for you and for your community moving through this time and into the next two to three years of your business? What does that look like for you? Um, I'll try to make this short, but, uh, you know, 2020, I know that a lot of things happened, but it really was probably one of the best years I've ever had. So, I mean, I'm not, um, I started listening to Andy Frisella's podcast, the MFCEO podcast last year, and it really changed my perspective on things. And I, I, I give him a lot of the credit as far as when this thing hit, 
I was like, you know what, I'm going to come out, whatever happens with this, I'm going to come out better than, than I was. And, um, you know, I started doubling down on my fitness and I, I, I've generated the habit or created the habit of eating well. So that wasn't really an issue. Um, but I also had made a decision before that whole thing hit before 2020 came to really double down on this, um, graffiti, uh, based business. So I was already kind of on this path that this lockdown thing didn't really shake, but in terms of where I see my business going, I have, I have different goals. Um, I have a hard time with these kind of questions actually, but, uh, I, I'm just going to keep pushing forward. I mean, I, I think, um, 2020 was a, I don't want to sound insensitive, but like, I, I know a lot of people got sick and a lot of, a lot of shit happened. And I, I do have, uh, sympathy or empathy. I, I mix those words up too, <laughs> um, for that. But at the same time, I feel like, um, I have been, on this, this sort of mindset for, for a good long time that all this adversity or any kind of adversity, you're going to come out the other side stronger. If you, if you actually work at it, like if you, if you sit there and, and again, I, I have a hard time with this because like, I feel like it might sound insensitive for people that maybe lost loved ones during this thing. But even that, like I have suffered some things like, you know, a friend of mine, a uh, business partner died this year. One of my dogs died. So like, there's a lot of things that totally suck, but at the same time, when we do come out the other side of this, there's a lot of people that are going to come out a lot stronger. And so that's mainly where I'm focusing. I, I don't really know if I can tell you like where the exact targets are, but I can tell you that I'm going to be way, way stronger three years from now than I am now. I mean, that's just the, the goal for the rest of my life until you know, maybe until I'm like 90 and I'm like, all right, I've done enough growing up. I'm going to chill now, you know? So I don't know if, th if that even answered your question or yeah, not. It's, it's all good. There's no right or wrong answer for it. I think we're all on our own path and we each see, we each see progress and uh, roadblocks in our own way, <clears throat> especially with what we do with them. And I think you're hundred percent right. Um, taking those adversities, taking those challenges and using it to our advantage I had Sean Douglas on the podcast uh, last week, and we were talking about how a lot of life is like fire, like firing a bow, where you have that moment of tension where you feel like you're being pulled back, and then there's this hold, and all archers or riflemen take that breath, and then they release. And when you release, it's that moment of, oh my gosh, everything I've just spent the last two or three, five, 10, 50 years on is truly paying off in just extreme momentum and extreme accuracy. So I think you're right. I think they're, even though it may not be super clear to where you're going, I think you're on the right path and the target's set. So Mike, one more time, where can people find you and we'll wrap this thing up? Um, at, at Machine Studio on Instagram is probably the best place. Um, and then on the website, Machine Studio, you can see a lot of the things that we we do there. Um, you could see our um, nonprofit work on communityartmachine.com um, and then at Machine Studio on TikTok. Awesome. If you need a dose of creativity, if you need just a little bit of a different perspective, go check out Mike's page. You won't be disappointed. Mike, thank you so much for being on. 
We'll make sure we drop all those links in the show 